Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today in-house, and for those online, we're so grateful that you connected with us. Uh, just one small announcement. We have a little uh, update, financial update, in our bulletin online, so please feel free to check that when you get an opportunity. Just gives you a little bit of update after we finished our first quarter, and I just want to just thank everyone uh, for your gracious and generous giving to the work of God here at Unionville Alliance. We can't do what we do without your generous giving, and so we just want to thank you for that. And uh, in this season as well, as we look to do various things, we are thankful for your committed uh, dedication, not just to giving, but to praying and to serving here at Unionville Alliance Church as we seek to make a difference here in our community and around the world as well. So thank you for that. So we're going through the series of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and we're continuing today with the church in Sardis. And again, these are messages that are written to the seven churches that were, that are, that were in modern-day Turkey. And what we're asking the Lord in these days is just to speak to us. As the series is entitled, Listen to the Spirit. And at the end of every one of these messages, there's this phrase that says, listen to the Spirit, in hopes that those that are reading the letter or listening to the letter will listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. And we want, as a church, to listen corporately, but we also want to listen individually as the Lord speaks to us, corrects us, rebukes us, chastises us, points out areas in our lives and in our church that we need to change. And I wanna encourage you to uh, join a life group to dig into some of these things a little bit further. There's life group questions on the welcome desk as well if you'd like to pick it up or you can get them, get them online. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you register for the Sunday service, you get a confirmation email. Anyone here got a confirmation email this week when you registered? All right, more of you should have gotten it because it comes out automatically. So if you haven't seen it, you should see it because there's a link that we've been sending out and that link takes you to a small little study. It's about five to seven minutes or so long about each of the churches. Gives you a little sort of historical summary and things. I wanna encourage you, that connects to Right Now Media. If you don't have an account on Right Now Media, guess what? You can have one for free. So it's on our website. If you need more information, send us an email. We can get you connected that way. But it's another way just to supplement our study through these seven churches to listen more, hear more, and understand a little bit of what Jesus is speaking to us. And so as we mentioned all of these weeks, we're looking at this format where there's a revelation of Jesus, there's a, a commendation of good things or a rebuke of the negative things, there's a, a remedy or a call to repentance, and finally, there's a judgment or a reward. Uh, unfortunately for this church in Sardis, they didn't have a lot of good things going for them. This is one of the letters that was probably one of the harshest uh, in, out of the seven churches because Jesus really digs into them without really commending them for a lot, a little bit, but not too much. Now, Sardis, the, the ancient city of Sardis actually was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia hundreds of years before the time that this letter was actually written. And it was rumored in that area that there was actually a gold rush uh, where people came to dig for gold. Uh, and some actually think that if you've heard of the, the Greek myth of Midas and the Golden Touch, some people think that it actually uh, came out of this city as well. Now today, unfortunately, uh, in some some of the ancient cities that we've been studying, there are still a lot of population in those cities, but this city of Sardis uh, is actually just a handful of small villages right now. 
Now, there's a lot of idol worship that was going on there. One was to, to Sybil, uh, which actually the Greeks knew uh, as uh, Artemis, which you might remember from the letter to Ephesus. Uh, and probably this city of Sardis had probably the second biggest temple uh, to Artemis. It was, a, it was a very strong and impregnable city because it was on an Acropolis and it was very well defended. Uh, uh, unfortunately, there was a time when the city was attacked, and as Chris read the scripture uh, for us, the letter to this church, there was one, er- one time when Jesus is saying, be watchful, awake, and so uh, they would have realized that when the city was attacked, there was a couple of times when it was conquered, and it was because they weren't being vigilant, and they weren't being watchful because they thought that they were in a place that was pretty impregnable and no one could actually get to them. Uh, now, this actually was a city where, where it was probably the f- one of the first places to mint gold and silver coins and stamp them out, and so there were a lot of things that were going on business-wise, commerce-wise as well, uh, and uh, there's also a reference to white garments, which we'll get to uh, here, but this city as well was known in their temples that they had to come dressed in white garments in order to get into the temple, and we talked about you know, the temple experience and other things that they did uh, that was probably regular day-to-day life in other cities, but was also just a worship experience. Um, and so uh, in this area as well, there was a lot of manufacturing and trades. There was a dyeing of uh, uh, wool and other materials. And this was all, this could have been uh, alluded to as well as in this letter when Jesus talks about keeping garments white uh, and keeping it unsoiled from all the evil around us. So a lot of things here in this letter that we'll get into that maybe reflected some of the literal things that were going on in the city as well. Now, the revelation of Jesus uh, in this city is that he is the one that holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, when you hear seven spirits of God, you might wonder, what does that mean, seven spirits of God? I thought it was just one spirit uh, of God. I thought God is just one. Well, I think what it talks about in this area is the this, this seven spirits of God that are, that are sent forth. It's, it's the various aspects of the Holy Spirit that are working in the world because we know that Jesus was anointed and empowered by the Spirit to work in the world, and so the Spirit of God was upon him as he was ministering. And Isaiah, this is actually a little bit of a prophecy of Jesus. And look at what it says here about Jesus. It says, out of the stump of David's family, Jesus came out of David's family, will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then it talks about some of the characteristics of the spirit. And I think when it says here that Jesus holds the seven spirits of God, it's talking about various characteristics of the spirit of God. And similarly for our lives, as the spirit empowers us and fills us and renews us, we are empowered by the Spirit to go out and do the will of God. Here it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so we see these various aspects of the Holy Spirit, and these are just some of them, but there's many more aspects and characteristics of the Holy Spirit that as he empowers us, as he fills us, as he gifts us, just as he did with Jesus, he will do for us and it send us forth to fulfill his will here on earth. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do it? Not by our own strength, 
not by our own wisdom, not by anything that we bring to the table. It's all because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is sent forth, and we see this reference in a couple of other places in the book of Revelation as well, how the Holy Spirit is sent forth into the world, and he operates in a variety of different ways to, to convict, to comfort, to strengthen, to empower, to lead, to sanctify. Lord willing, in 2022, we're gonna do a series on the Holy Spirit and talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is and what does he do in our lives and how does he empower us and how do we yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit uh, in us. And, and the second part of this revelation of Jesus was the seven stars. And we talked about that in a previous church as well as how it represents the, the messengers of the church or the leaders uh, of the church uh, at the time. Now, there's the rebuke. They had, this was a pretty strong rebuke to this church. The problem that this church had, let's read this in Revelation 3 verse 1. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Pretty harsh, right? What if Jesus were to, to, to come to you and, and look you in the face, right? Say, Reggie, you're alive. I can see you moving, but you're dead. It's pretty harsh, right? How would you take that? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. See, the problem that this church had was that they looked so good and so nice on the outside, and they were doing all of these things, and all these wonderful things were happening on the outside, but inside, they were dead. They, they, they had all of this religious activity going on around them. The church was doing this, and the church was doing that, and all of these things that were happening but inside they were dead. There was no intimacy with Christ. There was no following after the Lord. Probably there was no, no desire for God's word and, and prayer and all of these things that draw us closer into relationship with Jesus. And it was all just an outward show. And sadly, sometimes church can become like that. That we can come on a, on a Sunday morning and, and sit in the service or watch online or we can do all these sort of things. And then during the week, we live differently. And that shouldn't be the case. And that's sometimes the complaint that people have about people within the church. Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites because look at how they are during the week. They dress all nicely on Sunday morning. But look at how they act during the week. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he looked at the Pharisees and, and he rebuked them as well for this. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. You know, when, when someone passes away, you, you put them in a coffin, and you know, if you've ever gone through a whole funeral process and have to pick out coffins, there's so many beautiful coffins that are there, right? They try to get you to pick the best one that costs the most, unfortunately. But it looks all so nice outside, but inside? It's just death, right? It's a, it's a dead person in there. And so Jesus was, was rebuking them because of this, looking all so nice outside, but inside there's no life. There was a time in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus was on his way to a certain place and he saw a fig tree, right? 
And he looked at the fig tree, and at a distance, the fig tree looked so beautiful and wonderful. It had nice, these green leaves, and it looked so beautiful. It was like, wow, look at that fig tree. It's uh, all, all of those leaves looking nice, looking so green and luscious and beautiful, and so beautiful and wonderful that this uh, fig tree looked like Jesus said, let me go and see if I can get some figs out of there. There has to be figs if it looks so beautiful. But he went, and when he looked at the fig tree, what did he find? No figs. It was beautiful, lush, and green, and wonderful fig tree, but no fruit on the tree. I wonder if Jesus were to look at our lives, if he would say the same. That on the outside, we have all of these good works, and we have all these nice things, and we look so nice on the outside, but if Jesus were to look closely into our life, would he say there's no fruit? Would he say there's something lacking here? At a distance, you know, sometimes that's the reason why we don't want to maybe join a life group or maybe we don't want to do community with others or we don't want to have a a mentorship relationship or we don't want to connect with other people. Why? Well, I don't want them to get to know the inner parts of what's going on in me. Well, I don't want to open up my heart and share what's going on. Let me keep people at a distance. They stay over there. I'll stay over here. It's all fine. Daniel, don't ask me about this thing or that thing in my life. You stay over there, Daniel, and I'll stay over here, and, you know, we'll all get along nicely. That's not what God created us for. He created us for community. He created us part of a family. He created us to be part of the body of Christ, to support and love one another. And even when we see the faults and failures and the, and the bad things and the, and the difficult things, we learn to love one another and work together in community and, and get those things out of our lives so that it's not just something on the outside, but there's a real inner work of the Spirit in us to transform us, sanctify us, purify us, and make us like Jesus. Not by our own works, by what what. Jesus does in us. See, they had a good name in the eyes of everyone around them. In the eyes of their community, in the eyes of others, they had a good name. But sadly, not in front of the eyes of the Lord. And that's what Jesus was speaking to them, to this church. Now, there was a little bit of a commendation here, and you can see this in verse four. There were a few people in the church that had not defiled their garments, and they were found worthy to walk in white. It says here in verse four, there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And we'll get back to this part about walking in white near the end of the message, because actually that's part of the, the reward for the victorious, the reward for those that stay faithful. But let's look now at this call to repentance because Jesus calls this church to repentance. Jesus calls us to repentance. And in this call to repentance, I just want to split it up into three different things. The first one is a call to wake up. A call to wake up. In Revelation 3 verse 2, it says, Wake up! Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Sometimes we are slothful. Sometimes we are just lazy. Yes? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but, you know, after, because of COVID, you know, you're locked in, you're staying at home, you're working online, you're doing this and that, then all of a sudden things start to open up, and then you go out for an activity, and you come home, and you're tired, Have you ever experienced that? Right? Like our muscles have gotten a little bit lethargic and we're like, oh, you go out and it's like, and you're asking yourself, how did I do this before COVID? 
right? This is like one little activity and then, oh, that's it. I need a big rest now, right? Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's happened to me, right? It's happened to Laura as well, but Laura has an excuse because she's pregnant. (laughs) But what happens is we go out for an activity and we come back home and we're tired. But how many of us are like that with our spiritual lives? Oh, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. Oh, I'll spend some time in prayer tomorrow. Oh, I'll volunteer for this thing tomorrow. Oh, I'll go and serve in this area tomorrow. Oh, I'll do this another day. Oh, maybe another time, maybe another season. And so many times we just push off, push off our spiritual life. And here, Jesus is calling the church. He's speaking to them. Wake up. Arise from your slumber. Arise from the state that you're in because you're headed in a wrong direction. You're going towards death. And Jesus calls them to wake up. Wake up out of slothfulness, out of laziness, out of, out of a spiritual slumber that sometimes we get into. And we get into this routine and we get, and we, and we get into just a, a, a place where we're not active in working for the Lord, not active in, in our spiritual life, not vibrant and, and going forward in our spiritual life. And, and there's a sense of, of, of death inside of us because we haven't risen up to what God is calling us to do. In 1 Thessalonians, here Paul exhorts the church. He says, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us awake and be sober for the day. Let's awake and be sober to to what's around us and be aware of what God is calling us to do, what God is asking us to do. Let's respond to the Spirit of God. Let's have open ears to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us in these weeks. And not just listen, But let's respond and let's obey. Jesus says in Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak, right? How many know so many times we have good intentions? I wanna do this, oh, I wanna do that, yes, I'll help with this, yes, I'll do that, yes, Lord, I'll spend some time in prayer, right? New Year's resolution's coming up. Do you remember what your New Year's resolution was for 2021? We, so many times we have good intentions, but it just goes by the wayside. It's interesting because this city of Sardis, in contrast to some of the other cities in Asia Minor at the time, this city didn't seem to have a lot of persecution that was going on. Do you remember in some of the other letters that we, we, we read and we talked about, there was persecution that was happening to the church. The persecution that was happening to the church caused the people to run after the Lord. The persecution that was happening in the church caused the people to be more devoted to the things of God in love with Jesus. Sadly, this church didn't really have much persecution. Maybe they're just getting along with everyone else that was happening, and they they fell into a lull that didn't push them forward. Next Sunday is the National Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and we're going to highlight that a little bit as well and speak about the church that was actually persecuted, which was the Church of Smyrna. We'll be looking at that next week. We need to wake up to the importance of what God is asking us to do. Look in Romans chapter 13. It's an interesting portion of scripture because here, the, the beginning part here says, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's talking about love in the preceding verses as well, about the greatest commandment. And then he comes to this and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
And do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Friends, are we living missionally with love? Or are we slumbering and not fulfilling what God is calling us to do, to love our neighbors, to live missionally, to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time through the love of God? Are we doing that? Or are we in just a lull? Are we just in a, a state of hibernation? Are we just in a state of complacency and, and just a lack of desire, a lack of zeal, a lack of love, a lack of inspiration really to do anything for the Lord? We're just in, in, a, in, in a lull. If, if we're in such a state, then God asks us to wake up. If we're in such a state, now is the time to wake up. Maybe because of COVID, we were just going along, waiting till this is done, waiting till this is done, waiting till, well, it's done, let's go forward and serve the Lord. Let's go forward and love God. Let's wake up out of our slumber. Let's wake up out of our sleep. Let's wake up out of our complacency. Let's wake up out of where we are and go forward to what God has for us to do. I know there's still some complications with COVID. I know there's still some uh, uh, restrictions that we have to deal with, yes. But let's go forward in the will of God. The Spirit of God is still moving. The Lord is still working. He didn't stop. And so he's asking us to come alongside him as co-laborers in his harvest field. How are we touching our world through Jesus one life at a time? How are we being a blessing to our neighbors and showing the love of God? How are we living missionally in this season? The second thing Jesus says is to go back. Go back to those first steps. Go back to your first love. Go back to what you did at the beginning and hold fast to that. In Revelation 3 verse 3 it says, go back to what you heard and believed at the first. Hold firmly to this. Remember how you first came to the Lord. Remember how you first experienced Jesus. Remember how you first were in love for the Lord and you were willing to do anything for, for God. Remember those things and go back to that. Remember how you desire to read the word of God and grow in the word of God. Here Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, so you receive the message with joy, with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. See, Paul says to this church, you receive the word of God with joy. You, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the trials, in spite of the difficulties, you were willing to go forward and receive the word of God. Are we like that now? Or only if everything works out? If everything is comfortable for us, well, if this happens or if this happens, okay, then I'll come and help. If this happens, then yes, Lord, I'll, I'll say yes. If this happens, then I'll get up early and read my Bible. If this happens, then I, okay, I'll, I'll, if, if I finish all my other chores, all my other duties, then I'll spend some time in prayer. Is that the, the priorities in our life? If this happens and that happens and everything, I finish everything there and okay, and I have some free time, then I'll spend some time with Jesus. No, if we're giving him the last place, then he tells us to wake up. Hold firmly to it. Remember what God spoke to you. Remember the good word of the Lord that he spoke to you. Maybe in years past and seasons past, hold on to that firmly. Jesus says here, go back to that. You know when Peter um, 
betrayed the Lord. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, unfortunately, uh, Peter walked with Jesus for three and a half years and he denied the Lord. And then after the whole denial and the crucifixion, Peter went back fishing. When Jesus went to find Peter and he found him fishing and Jesus came to restore him and there was this whole conversation, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And Peter was grieved and he shouldn't have been grieved because he was the one that denied Jesus. And then finally at the end, what does Jesus tell Peter? A few small words. As for you, follow me. What did Jesus tell Peter when he first met Peter? When Peter was on the boat and he got this big catch of fish and Jesus looked at Peter and what did he tell Peter? Follow me. The same word that he spoke to Peter right at the beginning, those years before, Jesus reminds Peter of that and he says, as for you, Peter, follow me. Remember the good word of the Lord that he spoke to you. Seek after him. Follow after him. The third thing is to repent and turn to the Lord. Repent and turn. God calls us to himself. We see this pattern in the Old Testament that the children of Israel, time after time, they went away from the Lord, but God, God called them time and time again to come back to him. Look here in Joel. It says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. In Lamentations, he says, let us test and examine our ways, and let us turn back to the Lord. In Zechariah, he says, therefore say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, return to me, and I will return to you. Can you see this repeated over and over again? And we see this theme throughout the Old Testament. Jesus, the Lord is calling them back, calling Israel back to himself. He says, that it, he says here to the church in Sardis that if they don't come back, if they don't repent, then he'll come as a thief and will suddenly take away what they don't expect him to take. This church was dead because they didn't have a vision of Jesus and actually, they didn't have a vision of Jesus' coming. That's why he told them, I'm going to come back as a thief. They weren't looking and waiting and watching for the return of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. This week, from last Sunday to this Sunday, how many times did you think that Jesus might come back this week? Once? Twice? Zero? think if we're honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves that question, how many times in this past week did I think maybe my Jesus will return to this week? Or do we get so busy and occupied with the things of this world, we got so busy and occupied with what's happening in our life that the very thought of the coming of the Lord is off our minds. John says here, dear friends, we are already God's children but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know 
that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. See, what Jesus goes on to say in this letter, I want us to be able to connect some of these dots here. What Jesus goes on to say in this letter is, uh, he commends some of them that they were walking in white, they were walking holy, pure, they were living righteous lives. But he also gives them a a, a promise, he gives them a reward that if they would stay faithful, he would clothe them in white, in holiness, in purity. And here it talks about that those who have this eager expectation, anticipation for Jesus' return, they'll keep themselves pure. Now there are some in that church that were doing that. Are we? In eager anticipation for Jesus' return, Are we living a holy life? Are we walking in white? In Revelation 16 and verse 15 it says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. See, in this this letter he refers to clothes. He refers to being dressed in white. And so here in Revelation 16 it says, I'm coming as a thief, just as what he told to the church in Sardis. But he says, blessed is those who stay awake, just as what he told to the church in Sardis. Stay awake, wake up from where you are, remain clothed so that you won't be naked and shamefully exposed. And Jesus says, there are a few that are walking in white. There are a few that are clothed properly. And this is the reward. This is what he asks the church, that they be clothed in white, that they would keep their garments pure. In verse five it says, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. Friends, God wants us to be victorious. God wants us to be those overcomers. The Lord wants us to wake up, repent, turn to him so that he can clothe us in white. In in Isaiah chapter 61, It talks a little bit about clothing as well. In verse 10 it says, I am overjoyed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. If you're here today and you've never experienced the love of Jesus, if you're watching online and you've never experienced what it is to know and love Jesus, I wanna tell you that Jesus is here and he wants to have an encounter with you. And he wants to take you from where you are and he wants to clothe you with his robe of righteousness. He wants to clothe you with the garment of salvation. He wants you to be pure and holy in his sight and all we need to do is to come to Jesus because he's waiting for us. And if you've never experienced what it is to receive the forgiveness of sins, to feel that that cleansing, to feel that purity, Jesus wants you to experience that today. How many here, if you, get, if you buy a, a new piece of clothing or, or if you, uh, somebody gifts you something, isn't it, so, isn't it fun and exciting to wear that new piece of clothing? Or do you look forward to that? To, uh, if you get something maybe at Christmas time or for your birthday, you're like, okay, I want to wear that. Or if, if it's something that's brand new, maybe you say, I'm going to save it for a special occasion. Well, friends, Jesus wants to clothe us with the robe of righteousness. 
At the beginning of this chapter, in Isaiah chapter 61, it's actually a prophetic uh, chapter about Jesus, and Jesus actually quotes Isaiah 61 when he comes into the synagogue at the beginning part of his ministry. He comes into the synagogue, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah 61. Well, he didn't know it as Isaiah 61 at that time. The chapters came in much later. But he opened it up. We know it as Isaiah 61. He opened up the scroll, and he started to read from Isaiah 61. And at the beginning part of Isaiah 61, he talks about how Jesus came, how he's the anointed, the Messiah, the the salvation bringer, the one who comes to save his people from their sins, the one who comes as the Messiah. And it says in Isaiah 61 in verse one, which is what Jesus read, he says, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives. I've come to release the prisoners, to preach the good news to the poor. Friends, Jesus gives us the gospel of good news that gives life and hope to us. You might feel today that you are backslidden. You might feel today that you are so far away from Jesus that there's no hope. You might feel today that Jesus is just far away from you because you've gone so far away from him, I want to tell you today that there's hope in Jesus because he came to preach the good news, he came to deliver the captives, he came to give sight to the blind, he came to raise the lame to walk, he came to bless us by delivering us from our sins and forgiving us and giving us liberty to live our lives in fullness for his glory. And he starts to say that in Isaiah 61 at the beginning. In verse 1 and 2 you read that, but then it comes to verse 3 and he says this, This is the same passage that Jesus was reading from when he walked into the synagogue. He just didn't get this far. But he read this part and he said, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Friends, as we're, we're studying through these letters, and, and you might be thinking, man, it's just like one beating after another beating. I hear you. I can't change what's written. That's what's in the word of God. But what can I, but I can also say that there is so much hope in Jesus. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, we are more sinful than we ever thought we would be. But there is more hope than we ever thought that we would receive. You might think, I'm not so bad. Well, let me, I have news for you. You're really much more bad than you think. (laughs) You might think, maybe there's a little hope for me. There is way more than a little hope. There is exceeding, great, wonderful hope in Jesus. Inasmuch as we underestimate our sinfulness, we underestimate the greatness of our God. We underestimate his love and his forgiveness and the hope that he brings to us. And let me tell you, friends, there is hope in Jesus. And he says here, I want to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Do you feel like your your life is in ashes? Well, he wants to give you a crown of beauty. Do you feel like you're in a season of mourning and sadness and difficulty? Has COVID really hit you hard? Has life experiences hit you hard? Has your job really hit you hard? Has family expectations hit you hard? Well, it says here he wants to give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. He wants to clothe you with a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Lord desires to clothe us. Why? Because he desires to make us his bride. 
his beautiful bride, a reflection of the beautiful character that that bride has. This is the upside down kingdom of God, okay? This is what happened. The church in Sardis, they looked all beautiful on the outside. Inside, dead bones. Inside, no life. The upside down kingdom of God is the total opposite way that he seeks to work inside us to change and transform our character, to change and transform who we are so the beauty of our character shines forth. And that beauty is the beauty of Jesus. This is the upside down kingdom of God. He's not so concerned in what's on the outside. What he's concerned about is on the inside. He wants us to be clothed with his character. That's why in Colossians, Paul says, since God chose you to be holy people, he, lo he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. He's seeking to change us on the inside out. He's seeking to transform us on the inside out. The church in Sardis had it totally opposite. They were just concerned on the outward experience and how they looked and they kept up appearances, but Jesus saw through that outward exterior and saw inside it was just dead. But Jesus says, hey, look, I want something completely different. I want to change you on the inside so that on the inside you are clothed with tender-hearted mercies, kindness, compassion, patience, gentleness, grace, humility, goodness, all of those things. And when that's on the inside, guess what? It shines forth on the outside. It shines forth in all its glory on the outside because this is, what the, this is what the bride of Christ is like. This is what God calls us to be. The bride, a princess, looks glorious in her golden gown. In her beautiful robes, she is led to the king. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. It's not about the outward garments, but it's about the inward character that shines forth. As we repent and turn to the Lord with all of our heart, he's there to change us and transform us. Look at these beautiful verses in Revelation 19. Let's be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. It's not, about, it's not about just the outward things. It's about the transformation of the character that changes us. And finally, the last thing that he says here, which is very interesting, as the reward, not just the garments, not just the white garments, but he says here in verse five, I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. I'll go back to Reggie. Reggie, I used you at the beginning. So Jesus is looking at you and saying, Reggie, you look all alive on the outside. Inside, Reggie, you're all dead. Let's turn that around at the end. You're there with Jesus in front of the throne of God. And Jesus looks at the Father, sees all the angels around. And then he looks at Reggie and says, she's with me. She's mine. She belongs to me. She's my child. She's my daughter. That's the blessing that's here. Do you know that you belong to Jesus? Do you know what he says about you? You know, we live in a time and in a culture and in a society that there's a crisis of identity. People don't know who they are. 
We've divided ourselves and chosen to define ourselves by so many exterior qualities and aspects that we've lost the most critical defining quality of who we are. And because we have not seen that defining quality, it's caused error to come in all sorts of other ways. We, we have put markers that define us by our age, by our relationship status, by employment status, by sexuality, by ethnicity, by color, by culture. We've divided ourselves about all of those things and we define ourselves by all of those things. We even divide ourselves and define ourselves by church. There's a Baptist church or Pentecostal church or Christian Missionary Alliance church or Methodist church or whatever church you wanna say. Or maybe our identity is wrapped up in what we do. I'm a landscaper, this is what I do. I'm a teacher, or I'm a construction worker, or an engineer, or a childcare worker, or a doctor, or I'm a pastor. We define ourselves by what we do. But we pick the wrong qualities to define ourselves by. We pick the wrong set of characteristics to define ourselves by, and it leads us to an unhealthy place. Culture and society teach us to define ourselves by various characteristics, but it ends up dif- dividing us. And it ends up bringing division even within the church. But what Sardis lost was the reality of who they were because of Jesus, that they were children of God. They lost that reality. That's why they fell into this lull. They fell into this place of of being dead because they lost the reality that their identity is rooted in the fact that they are children of God. And friends, that's what we all need to understand first and foremost, is that we are children of God. What Jesus says here, I will announce before my Father is an angel that they are mine. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, let me invite you. And our prayer team will be here at the end of the service to pray with you. And if, you, if you're watching online, I wanna encourage you to send us an email. We would love to connect with you, to share with you what it means to be in relationship with Jesus so that on that day, Jesus will say, you are mine. I'm gonna declare your name to, 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 to my Father and to all the angels. Right now, there, there's the, the uh, World Series is going on. There's an umpire, his name is Ted Barrett, and he's working his fifth World Series right now, which makes him the most experienced umpire in the crew this year. Uh, And he's been a full-time umpire since 1999. And he's one of the most accomplished umpires in Major League Baseball right now. He also has a doctorate in theology. And he started an organization called Calling for Christ, which is a ministry that reaches out to umpires to care for their spiritual needs. And he has Sunday services, he has Bible studies. If you watch the World Series today, I believe today's game five, he's, he's gonna be the guy behind the plate today. Has a doctorate in theology, calling the World Series tonight. He's seen umpires come to Christ and grow in their relationship with the Lord. In 2020, during the pandemic, He said that he took time to grow in his relationship with Christ, and he was able to spend more one-on-one time with the Lord, and it really helped him. He said this, quote, it was great that life just kind of slowed down for me. You're so busy, you get up in the morning, and you're going, and God, just I felt him telling me to slow down and spend more time with him. So that was the good part. But more than being an umpire, more than defining himself as an umpire and all of his accomplishments, which he's accomplished a lot throughout his career, he defines himself as a follower of Jesus. And everything he does is through that lens as a child of God. He says this, quote, I looked up to major league umpires so much. I wanted to be them. 
I wanted to be accepted by them. I wanted to be loved by them. I wanted them to say, you're one of us. And so many times I wouldn't take my stand for God when I needed to. And God showed me that you've got to go all in. Either, uh, you're either gonna follow me or you're not. You can't have one foot in the umpire world and one foot in my world. It's gonna be all me. It's got to be all me. And finally, I surrendered. Then God said, I put you as an umpire for a reason. I want you in ministry, but as an umpire. See, he's living missionally with a purpose. Not defining himself as an umpire, but as a child of God on mission. This Saturday, we're, we're, we're joining a number of other churches and organizations for this event called Live Called. I wanna encourage you to sign up so that you can understand and see how can you live missionally in whatever industry that you're in. And there's so many different breakout rooms, one of them would probably cover whatever industry that you're in. But if you can see this umpire, he's living missionally. Even though he is an umpire, he defines himself as a child of God, sold out completely to the mission of God, and they're doing some amazing things, people coming to Jesus. He has stories of, of umpires coming to Jesus and being changed, and then going out into the world and doing amazing things for the Lord. And that's how we need to define ourselves, as children of God on mission for his purpose. In Galatians 3, verse 26 to 20, it says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. See this reference again to new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Friends, how do you define yourself? Do you define yourself first by your sexuality? Do you define yourself first by your ethnicity? Do you define yourself first by your profession? Do you define yourself first by your culture? Do you define yourself first by, by some other criteria? Or do you define yourself first by being a child of God? I wanna ask you to do a next step. You can, if you wanna do it now, you can do it now, you can do it later. If you text the word promise to this number, 647, 417-7289, you'll get a message back with a verse from the word of God, a promise verse that talks about your identity in Christ. You can do it today, you can do it this week, whenever you wanna do it, but I wanna ask you to do one thing. If you do that and if you get a verse, I don't want you to keep it to yourself. I want you to take that verse and share it with one other person. Why? Because we are touching our world through Jesus, one life, at a time. Take that verse, share it with one other person, and tell that person this is your identity in Christ. This is who you are because of Jesus. Friends, who are you? Who does Jesus say that you are? Who does the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, the King of all the universe say that you are? I want to tell you today that you are a chosen child of God. He has chosen you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God for his purpose, that you are loved deeply and immensely and immeasurably more than you can ever think, 
that you are redeemed by God, his purchased possession, that he shed his blood on Calvary for you, that you are forgiven from whatever sin that you have committed. If you come to Christ, he is the forgiving God that cleanses the slate clean, that you are a new creation in Christ. All things are passed away. All things have become new, that you are free from condemnation. You don't have to listen to that voice that condemns you over and over again because you are called to be a saint. You are called to be holy. You are called to be pure. You are called to be righteous. You are called to be the temple of the living God where the presence of God dwells within you and in you. You are called to be joint heirs with Christ. All that Christ is going to inherit. He says, here, I want to share with you. Come with me on my throne and I will share that with you. You are called to be a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of Canada, although we can be, but you're called even more to be a citizen of heaven that he's saving and preparing a place for you in heaven. You are called to be part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ, where there's fellowship and kindness and love and support one for another. You are called to be a minister of, of reconciliation, helping others instead of division, bringing together in unity. You're called to be an ambassador of Christ that shares the gospel and shares the good news. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth to be that glorious light of Jesus and the character of Christ shining forth through you and in you. You are the beloved of God, his son and daughter. You're a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar people set apart for God for his purposes. You're empowered by the spirit of the Lord. You are gifted by the spirit of God. You are filled by the spirit of God to fulfill his holy calling in your life. You are set apart for his purpose, sanctified for his will, chosen by God to be the sons and daughters of the Lord for as many as believed in him to them he gave power to be the children of God that is who God says you are Amen. worship team let's come let's sing God has called you let's stand God has called you what is your identity don't define yourself by all the other characteristics that culture teaches us that society teaches us that the world teaches us that other people teach us define yourself by this I am a child of the living God it's who he says that I am it's not what other people say you are it's about who he who he says you are let's worship the Lord